This is a HeadGum Podcast. Support for the show is brought to you by the new Audible original, Heads Will Roll, from Saturday Night Live's Kate McKinnon and co-creator Emily Lynn. It's a royally raunchy, scripted audio comedy. Listen free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash vultureheads. That's audible.com slash vultureheads. Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a comedian comes on to play and talk about one of their jokes. And we are back for a sixth season. Wow, that is as many as lost. Well, I had to go back to the island, and by island I mean the studio. And I'm Jack, and the guest is Locke. Or maybe I'm the smoke monster, and they're the smoke monster's friend from that one episode where we learned the smoke monster's origin story. Why am I talking about Lost again? Either way, our our guest this week is Beth Stelling. I've been wanting to have Beth on the show for a while now. It all started all the way back to the Christian Shaw episode of the first season. So we were recording that one in L.A., and my producer at the time, Jordan Bell, called in to monitor the recording, and instantly... Kristen pointed out that she sounds like Beth Stelling, not knowing that I've been secretly thinking the same thing from the first time that I met Jordan. Seriously though, beyond just being one of my favorite stand-ups, as we talk about, Beth is a a bit of a mystery to me. I I know Beth's funny, but I don't get why Beth's so funny, and I've long wanted to talk to her to try to get to the bottom of it. I always try to have the comedian pick the joke when possible, because I'm fascinated in why they pick it. In a job where they are constantly coming up with new material, the fact that there are specific jokes that stick with them as noteworthy or game-changing is just, well, very cool. Beth, who has two albums, a Comedy Central and Netflix Half Hour, and is currently working on a new hour, picked a joke from really early in her career, off her first album, Sweet Beth, which she recorded around three or so years into doing stand-up. It's a story about one particular mandatory visit to see her dad in Florida. So let's learn why she picked it. Here is Beth Stelling. So my parents are divorced. Did I say that? Or is that obvious? Um, They divorced when I was about three years old. uh, And my two older sisters and I started visiting my dad in Orlando, Florida, where he had moved when I was six years old. uh, Because it was court ordered. And um, I would still go see him as an adult if he had something nice to say to me. You know, like I remember getting off the plane in high school and the first thing he said to me was like, Hey, B, looks like you got a little bit of acne, huh? Thanks, Dad. <laughs> After my first year of college, he was like, more like the freshman 40, huh? <laughs> I was like, well, Dad, uh, I eat because you left us. <laughs> I haven't washed my face since then either. It was, I actually grew my boobs in college with ice cream, so <laughs> I win. Um, my dad used to take us to this water park in, wet, uh, in Orlando, Florida called Wet n' Wild. Anybody then? Three people have lived. So Wet n' Wild is home to the tallest water slide in the United States of America. It's called the Der Stuka. Okay? So one day, my whole family down there, um, except for my stepmom, because uh, she's, she's too drunk to take in public. Um, but we decided we were going to just take this slide on together as a family. You know what I mean? Like, really do it up. Uh, so my uncle goes down first, and he gets 
quite a bit of water up his shorts. <laughs> it's my sister's turn second, and she's like in the height of her puberty, so she's wearing a string bikini, orange. Uh, and when she goes down this vertical drop of a two-story slide, her bikini top flies up, and her chest is just exposed to hundreds of water park onlookers, <laughs> which I'm going to let you know right now, ruined her life. <laughs> I'm sitting at the top of the slide uh, in my own piss. <laughs> my sister, oldest one behind me, is yelling, go! I'm nine. I'm like just tall enough to ride it. The lifeguard over here, I'll call him the lifeguard, shoves me down. I have like no time to cross my hands and my legs over my body as the sign specifically instructed as I was climbing hundreds of feet into this death trap. Water shot so fast and violently up my crotch that I consider that day of wet and wild the day I lost my virginity. <laughs> I was nine. You know, I could have gone with waiting a year. Uh, <laughs> with somebody that I loved. I've recently worked up the courage to compose a little letter to Wet n' Wild um, to ask them to change the name of the slide from the Der Stuka to I Just Douched Ya. <laughs> be a little more fitting. <laughs> I am here with the comedian behind that joke, Beth Stelling. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> what was it like listening to it? I mean, it doesn't make me cringe, but it is, like I said, there are some parts of it where I'm like, Good job, little one. And then there are other parts of me that are like, oh, I hate what you did there. I see what you were trying to do. But it wasn't too bad. I giggled a couple times yeah. thinking of it. it. It's funny what tarnishes your memory. Mm -hmm. Like I recorded that album initially in July of 2012 at this nightclub in Chicago. And the audio was really bad. It was unusable. So then I just didn't want to do an album. I mean, these are the, honestly, as much as I love the producer of this album, stuff like that, you can't take anything back. It's already done. But I didn't need to put out an album. I don't know. I think it was just like somebody being like, do you want to do one? It was during that period of time where they were just sort of like having comics do it and making yeah. money off of them or whatever. Well, then I just recorded secretly at this place called like the Red something in Cleveland. I just put a Zoom behind me and wow. pressed go. And so it was like in an, it was in the attic of a bar and nobody knew I was recording my album because truthfully the july one in chicago where i started people knew i was recording the album and it sold out mm -hmm. and of course i look back and i'm like oh, that guy robbed me blind <gasps> i think he paid me like 600 bucks for yeah. maybe two sold out shows he had to have made so much money off of me at the time i just had no clue yeah that was at red bar when it was at entourage but um yeah so then i re-recorded it I just felt like people were laughing too hard. And I know that sounds like, oh, come on. Yeah. But it's true. Like they were being supportive. And I just was like, it's not that funny. <laughs> you know, like, and so I, I, then I went fully opposite. Yeah. And this is like the real reaction of a small group of people. So I wanted to back up uh, a few decades before we talk about even writing it. I want to talk about this actual trip to Wet n Wild. Yes. You know, obviously you talk about this one portion of this one trip which I guess you maybe say the highlight, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, what else you just sort of remember about this day? This day in particular, I was, you know, I loved my Uncle Dave. I loved my sisters. We were all very close. We would have to leave my mom, who was with most of the year, and go down and be with my dad, who basically tried to do fun things, you know, to distract us, to be the sort of like vacation dad. 
Um, and so I, I remember like, you know, I guess as a, as a girl, I'm trying to think of what my bathing suit was. You know, I don't remember. I probably felt fit and thin as a child because I was a gymnast. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had those insecurities really set in yet. I remember sitting under, like, finding, trying to find shade underneath a <laughs> umbrella. Uh, we went so many times. I remember, like, the water tasting a little salty, and I can't remember if it's because it was meant to be a saltwater pool or it was just filled with urine and sunscreen. Um, and sweat. The lazy river I loved. I remember scraping the bottom of my feet along the bottom of that. If you like, basically you float in an inner tube and it just, the water pushes you along the lazy river. But if you let your feet drag, it'll scrape your feet. I mean, I can picture, I know what my dad looks like in a swimsuit. My uncle Dave was pretty hairy. My sisters were cool. And this happens this time before you even were a stand-up. Mm-hmm. What, how did this memory sort of live in your brain? When you're a stand-up that's personal, sometimes your life becomes your onstage stories. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, this is an exaggeration, but it's also not. Like, my legs came apart and water just, like, fully shoots up your hoot. Mm-hmm. And then I later wrote that joke. but. With this story, I think you're just trying to find things, you know, that happened during that time. But it's odd because it can affect the memories around it, you know. And then you try to remember other things, not necessarily, not necessarily to sow for material, or, but or to reap um, <laughs> for material. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's odd. What was the question again? <laughs> How in the time period? Yeah, like why even remember? Like how? Yeah. Why is this the thing that? What were you remembering well, about it when you were before you were a comedian? Like how was this the thing that you would think about periodically, regardless? Hard to say because this was this was one of the first sort of what one of my first story jokes that I told when I first started at twenty two. Because I tell jokes, but I also do stories that have jokes within, and that's how I initially thought found out I was funny was just making my field hockey teammates laugh by telling them stories about my stepdad, mm-hmm. about my stepmom, excuse me, and about my dad and my time in Orlando. Because I I grew up in Ohio, so our adventures were always tales, you know, of what yeah. we did when we were down there. And it was short-lived. And But but it was actually also long. We had to go for like a month. It's court-ordered to be there for a month, which is a long time as a kid to be away from your mom. Yeah. So I think I just told those stories of my life to get laughs initially by making fun of the weird things that were happening in my life. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I because I realized I got those laughs from my stepdad stories or my family or my parents stories just with my friends, when it came time to me wanting to be a comedian, I think I was like, "Well, let's try those." I know this joke sort of ended up being sort of uh, pivotal in some ways. What type of stuff were you doing before it? How was this like this was something different in so much? What was the thing that you're doing? That was not this. I'm trying to think about early set lists. It was like a good amount of self-deprecating humor. I'd gained weight in college, and so I had a lot of sort of chubby jokes. And I also just did a lot about. It was always familial. I always did family jokes. I remember some dating stuff here and there, but I rarely. I'm not. I wasn't even much of a dater. I remember writing a joke that was like, "I'm reading a book called." And then it, the joke was like chicken soup for the, and then that was my joke as in like, girl who wants to get married, but can't really get married because her sisters are all getting married. Well, soul. Yeah. You know, like that type of thing. I'm trying to think of other jokes. My sisters say you'll find love when you least expect it. I'm just really tired of appearing aloof at all times. <laughs> Stuff that's like good. that. Oh, that's thank like, you. That one's really funny because <laughs> I feel like I know there's another person that's a joke. 
I feel like that is a setup for a lot of people's jokes, but that is a different version of it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I had, I had airplane jokes as a 22-year-old because I'd been flying since I was six. Oh. You know, aisle and exit row seats. And I'm trying to think of some of the other stuff. You know, it was a lot of stories about family. And yeah. it was dark stuff that I was gravitated towards. And now everybody's talking about their life. It's very much a, a expose. It's like if something's super fucked up and personal, say it to a microphone for strangers. Yeah. Like that's what stand-up has become. But I'm not saying I was some sort of revolutionary at all. I just mean back then it still felt a little like, should you be talking like that you about s- your family? So you started in like 2006, seven, 2007. Six, seven, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my mom even was like, should you be talking? I had a story about my stepmom who is an alcoholic. And um, she like, it's a classic story. She did it to me and my sisters. And then we w- I would bring girlfriends down and and. I- like junior high, high school, college to go to my dad's because there were no rules. He would let us party and he'd buy sure. us beer and he'd let us get anything we wanted pierced. <laughs> I had a story about my stepmother throwing salt on me and my sisters calling us vampires mm-hmm. that she needed to protect my dad from, from us because we were vampires. So she was throwing salt on us at the dinner table. This was more like high school. Mm-hmm. My sisters were in high school, so I was probably junior high. That was at the time, like, it was just like kind of funny, but mostly embarrassing. She tried to hook us up with, she's wasted. She tried to... She was drinking with like a guy at the bar while we had already been sit. Yeah. It's like, so that joke became, we look, it became a story. And it was like, so we look over at her. She's at the bar cheating on my dad. She throws salt on us once, twice. And she's like, just in case, she's trying to protect your father, just in case you girls are vampires. And the punchline became wrong seasoning. It's garlic. And my mom would say, don't you think and this is a woman who's never not been nice to my mom yeah but my mom's an angel and uh she was like don't you think she would be upset and i'm like or she said don't you think that your stepmom would be hurt if she knew you were saying those things and that became a joke which is we could have been hurt when she was driving us around drunk as children so much of my stuff yeah. was dark like that what and i wasn't even- always getting laughs i'll tell you that like vernon hill zany's opening yeah. for uncle larry reeb i mean i had people coming up to me like seek help as you said it wasn't what people we're really doing what made you even think like this is what I I'm doing stand up so time to you know what's interesting is like so many people now of course and I have young comics that I try to help out or mentor yeah. but they're like how do you do it how do you start how do you this or that how do I find my cadence how do I yeah. find my material and I'm like I'm not a teacher and I'm I'm not like attitude <laughs> yeah. I don't mean like fuck you I mean I don't I'm not a teacher. I don't know. The, I actually don't know how yeah. to write a joke. Yeah. I, I taught one workshop and I gave them a prompt. I said, this is like kind of how I used to write. It was just, be, and that's only because somebody asked me to teach it. I didn't want to, but I don't know how to do it. Yeah. I just did it. And when I first started, it was just, what can I find that's funny? My family. I think the advantage you had is that, that insight that you I think maybe you didn't know not to do this. Some comedians, they were like, what is funny? What will people laugh at? You didn't know no. to think that. No. You were just like, well, this is funny to me, so yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, and and when I first started, you know, I had a lot of great, you know, fellow comics that were dudes, but I also got a hard time. Like, I got received well early and booked a lot, and there was very few women, and so we really were a novelty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're often the one woman on the show, so I was... I was pretty much doing a show whenever I wanted. And um, they would give me a hard time about like whispering my punchlines or being really quiet. And you don't know what you are until someone tells you. And I got my first little sort of review or something. And it was like delightfully demure, dark comedian or something like that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's what I am. I didn't know. Yeah. Like I just, I don't know. You just were doing it. Yeah. I just, 
I, I initially did write like full, like a word document yeah. and perform it. Cause I was a theater major. So I was used to memorizing and performing, but I of course knew that I wasn't supposed to make it seem like it was memorized. I wasn't doing a monologue. I knew that yeah. very much, but I was still writing a monologue. This joke or this, the idea of talking about the when wild trip, mm-hmm. do you remember the spark of like, let me do that on stage or sort of what, what was the first idea you had to do it? Do you remember anything? You know, it could have been, it could have been jokes within the family about it. Like, remember that time that Hannah's top flew up or like, Mm -hmm. you know, Uncle Dave went down and his, you know, he was like, like, it was entertainment. It was like, we really loved going to Wet n Wild. It was that and we would go, go go-kart racing and there were just pastimes and quality times with our dad and it was a big deal. Like it was just the day. It was so fun. And we would, it was just one of the fun things we did. And, you know, going to get the tickets and driving with my dad and getting there and putting on sunscreen and doing it together and watching each other go down. It was like, it was also a risk. It was yeah. very scary. I was the youngest and it was like the scariest thing to do at the park. And it's like, I wouldn't have had those experiences really if I hadn't gone to visit. So it was definitely monumental in my head that I a, got to go to a water park. And B was even in Orlando, Florida. That's a place that has warm all the time and has palm trees. I bet we all had some jokes about it. At this point, you you mentioned when you started, you were writing things out. Were you writing, would you write this one out? Do you have any sense? That was written out. And I bet it's somewhere in a Word document on my desktop that's in my closet. Wow. Yeah, written out word for word, maybe highlighted the laugh lines or bolded the laugh lines. So and then you would just perform it? Then mm-hmm. go back to the word doc and be like, "Yeah, I would perform it. I, I think I've since the beginning of time recorded my sets. Yeah, so I would kind of listen back. One time I tried to do it in the photo booth, perform it for the photo booth, mm-hmm. and then watch it. And that was the last time I did that. <laughs> You'd think that would be good. Yeah, but it wasn't for me. It's I didn't ex- like it. It's not exactly the angle in which comedians are watched. No, is that close up? Yeah. But so you essentially that is a more strict version of what you do now you record i don't listen as much as i should i think a lot of comics probably have that problem literally every comedian says yeah but there there are weekends where i'll do thursday and then i'll put it off all day friday and then listen to it and when i have one two hours before the show one hour to listen to the hour the night before and one hour to put off showering and then usually just not shower but put makeup on so then when you're listening what are you doing what happens i think the sort of like i have a set list is usually like you know, for people who don't know, it's typically one word. Sometimes something, yeah, it wouldn't make sense to you, but it does to me. It'll be like C-A-N capital hyphen parenthesis small k and parenthesis. So that's, you're literally right now going through this. My set list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you give a sense of any of those? That is like, it's especially cryptic. Yeah. What, so what? that whole, that part is, I moved to Canada this year. Just because I watched all of Handmaid's Tale and it felt safer. (laughs) And then I say, in Canada, they use the metric system. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but I am not. So I never knew the temperature or the speed limit or how much I weigh, which is kind of a perk. I haven't weighed 75 since third grade. I just assumed the little K on the scale meant like, keep it up. (laughs) So... When you go up with this, did you have essentially like, was there more than this, you think? Or you think When less? I went up, you mean with the that? First, the first time. The, no, I had the, it typed and printed yeah. off to the side of the stage, mm-hmm. praying I wouldn't forget. And I remember forgetting mm-hmm. and going backstage to look at it. It was terrifying. 
because I, I always say I blacked out my first time on stage and it wasn't from alcohol. I mean, it was real like, <gasps> yeah, what just happened? So I had it all typed out and I memorized it. And I still would probably write it on my hand. I did that for many, many years. I wrote my set list on my hand after the out of the bolded words yeah. from from the story. So did you have... And then it became wet and wild. And then it just became wet and wild written. Like, was there more of the story that you would tell at some point? Was there less? Yeah. Or... Oh, the, from what we just heard? Yeah. It does happen. We're in this weird world where everyone's agreed that you do an hour every year and then it's garbage. And I'm trying to find a middle ground lately because I believe I, I didn't I don't believe that, but I've adhered to it. Yeah. And so, like, when I headline, you're not going to really hear old jokes and people will come up to me. like, Well, we wanted to hear Weary Bones or where was the IUD thing? I do similar topics, new takes. Yeah. I do that often. Yeah. I gravitate around top topics. In I fact, somebody was yeah. like, I thought you were going to say the can we get there? And then you did a different punchline. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm still talking about it, but it's got to be new. <laughs> yeah. That joke i think i was telling up until even the you know i was opening for people like and to feature work yeah that wet and wild story and i forget dear wet and wild i think i added something that was like dear wet and wild why haven't you called that's what it was Mm -hmm. that's what i added so you're just sort of like you'd be you'd get a sense of what it was you'd play you just keep on playing with it yeah and but normally things are dead to me yeah but i have added stuff and I, I I've killed stuff after it was just on one thing once late night once or something that the trouble is hey why didn't you do weary bones oh well I don't have a section really on kids right now so where am I going to put it and I'm very much about flow yeah new material is such a burden and is for so many years until it isn't yeah I don't know if it always is I sh- I've shocked myself that I've been able to come up with new material it always feels like you won't yeah, you're like I think I'm. I think I yeah, did. Yeah, I think it. I'm done. Um, I want to go through some specific uh, lines through in it. I started visiting my dad in Orlando, Florida, which is where he moved when I was six years old because it was court ordered. Oh, right, right. So because it's court ordered is the punchline of that joke, even though, like it's it is a like it is a pretty classic whispered punchline. Yes, like, it's really understated. I still use it actually, but in a different way. In what, in when you're talking about your dad, seeing your dad. Yeah. And I, as you read it, it actually makes it very apparent that it's sort of written wrong. Because my dad wasn't court ordered to move to Orlando. I was court ordered to visit. But yeah, no, it it, <laughs> it works as a joke because yes. you forgot that you were talking yeah. about that you had to visit him. Yeah. I mean, I like it. It's dark. It's true. Yeah. My dad won custody and uh, we had to go visit him every other holiday and. And uh, for a month in the summer, we had to leave our mom, which was tough. So I think probably the darkest part of the joke you know, is the more like freshman 40. I was like, well, dad, I eat because you left us. Yeah, which I always actually, I like to be so authentic and I like to always tell the truth. Yeah. And I rarely stretch it or bend it. That is true and isn't because, yes, he did leave. Mm-hmm. But it's from a horrific experience from childhood yeah so it is true because he absolutely left but there was also a very dark story behind it yeah it's true still so i maintain that but it's not like a classic dad abandoned us yeah he's it's, not like in the night dad wasn't there yeah right and so i'm sure that i connected food and stuff to to that for sure as well and he, i don't think he and that is a joke the fr- more like the fresh and 40 that's a joke i don't remember him saying that i can't give him credit for that punchline yeah. He 
I can't remember if he actually said it. I could ask him. Yeah. Because it's been so long. I, I can't remember if I added that because it comes also from truth, which is he said, oh, you gain weight. Yeah. You know, so it comes from truth and that he- It's a thing he might say. This it's is a, matter. a classic line of my dad, by the way. Yeah. Chair, table, penis. That's like a quote from my dad, which is like, he's always been very point blank about what things are. Mm-hmm. He would just always, he says, he didn't have much time with me, especially. He, he had me from birth to three yeah. and then I didn't see him for a while. But he was very, he likes to, of course, reminisce about the times we did have together and tell me. And he would always say it was very point blank with me. He would be like, I would ask, and I was very inquisitive. So yeah. he'd be like, that's a chair, it's a table, it's a penis. Like, so chair table penis is a classic quote from my dad. And I think he was very much like, oh, you're fat. Like, oh, you're getting weight. (laughs) He's not, he's not like point blank and rude. Yeah. He's just off. I mean, and the acne one was the, what did he, what did I say in the joke? Pizza or no? Hey B, looks like you got a little bit of acne. So what he really said was you look like a little boy going through puberty. (laughs) That's meaner. Yeah. And I remember sobbing. This was like, I think I was... 20. Uh, I remember, I think we were in Key West. They would sometimes like to take a vacation within yeah. our trip down there. Yeah. We would go to Sanibel, Key West, Key Largo. I think this was Key West. It was an especially volatile trip. My grandmother was going through some dementia. Like she was kind of confused about where she was. We had our uncle and aunt with us who were appearing to maybe go through uh, beginnings of a divorce. And our stepmother was drinking heavily and embarrassing us. And my dad was just he he lives in a sort of state of denial but wouldn't really call it that it's like oblivious happy manic denial or something yeah. you know like oh. but it's not like he's covering it up cuz he doesn't think there's anything to cover up this part of the joke and, I'll, and I'll, I cried on my sister i remember that and i shut the door and i was like get away from me i don't want to talk to you i wish i weren't here these are sort of they're especially the dark parts of your memories of it and this joke like the other one where i think is so one day my whole family's down there except my stepmom because she was too drunk to take in public yeah i love that line i think there was part of me that was angry but i also didn't want her to be there so but how to laugh at her expense really this album's called sweet beth like i think you have a your persona has like a sweetness to it do you feel like that is how you're able to sort of do this without sort of derailing sweet beth was from another comedian i love candy my teeth yeah. are falling you know did you know i have this missing tooth i get it i get it and look how big for those listening she has a missing tooth yeah i get it um my new tooth next week or the oh, 14th cool. but um so i loved candy but also like I mean, I think it's weird for the person who's being talked about to say it th- about themselves, but like I generally try to be a kind, helpful, yeah. loving person. And I was like that on the scene. I was friendly and I'm, you know, I am from Ohio, but I enjoy making good friendships. I don't trust that many people. My inner circle is small, but I find joy in being kind and like mm-hmm. I wanted to be a part of the scene. And so I was nice. And Joe Kilgallen, who is a Chicago comic, he named me Sweet Beth. And so I think, I don't know, it was like, sweet Beth. Everybody just kind of called me that. Yeah. And I enjoyed it because it makes me feel good. Like, you know, people like me and I'm kind and I attach my self-worth to that, I think. Um, so I never really thought of, I don't, I don't know. I, it's been so long. I, I know it's only been seven years, but it's been so long where I can't know if I, I, maybe I was attaching some irony to it. The line that I find most interesting is the, the when you say in the joke, you bring up how you, my sister goes second and she's like in the height of her puberty. So she's wearing a string bikini orange. You just sort of throw out orange. It doesn't get a laugh. Yeah. What? Why? Sometimes it gets a laugh. It would. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get a laugh here. So no. I'm like, it just seems like a little string bikini. Orange. 
It's for you. It's for your memory. It's for your visual. You're just creating a picture, yeah. But also I learned it from Susan Messing. I love specificity, and that's what makes things so funny. The phrasing of her bikini flies up, her chest is, you pause it, it flies up, and then you go, her chest is exposed to hundreds of water park onlookers. The phrasing that feels quite specific. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, because people would line up and watch everybody go down the Derstuka as they either tried to work up the courage or just watch. Yeah. Because you might not have been tall enough. So then here comes the part that you don't like and I'm going to, we'll use both this part you don't like and the phrasing you do, like you said. Oh, oh, yeah. You don't like your phrasing of... My performance is just bad. You know, ruined her life. Yeah. In fact, I've done it better than on that recording. It was like, her bikini top flies up in front of hundreds of water park onlookers, which I'm going to let you know right now, uh, ruined her life. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's so uncomfortable for me to listen to because it's so put on. <laughs> which I'm going to let you know right now, ruined her life. It's so, it's the deadpanest you are. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's, it harkens back to when I was most comfortable. I'm sorry, least comfortable yeah. on stage, although I've never been... Even I, there, one thing I'm grateful for is everybody's always like, you seem so calm, chill. And I'm inside early. I would be nervous, you yeah. know, but it came off different. But anyway, um, yeah, that's very put on. It's like sort of like my early days. If you watch the DVDs of my first sets, it's upsetting. It's gross. It's very put on and big and mm-hmm. big facials and pauses. And how about that? You know, and it's sort of like, which I'm going to let you know right now, ruined her life. And everybody's like, all right, easy. But you like the phrasing of in my own piss. Yeah, I love it. In fact, it made me giggle while we were listening. I'm sitting at the top of the slide in my own piss. It's one of my favorite lines ever. Why? It's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's. By the way, I don't normally talk about myself like sure, this or my album. Literally, just this examining is, it. Yes, of course. But and yes. it's also I haven't listened to it in a while, and it's pretty fun when you can tickle yourself because often you're not happy with your performance. Yeah. You know, so like there have only been a few times where I've watched something I did and been like, I'm proud of myself. I'm happy with that. I giggled a little. Is it because you're like, yeah, that's how I would say it. Yeah. And I think it's because it's so subtle. It's a throwaway. And and I was so scared. And everybody pisses at water parks. And it is warmer in that little portion where you sit at the top of that slide. So the the sort of the what is ultimately the joke of this joke, which is the water shot so fast up, so fast and so violent. And when while that day, I lost my virginity. Mm-hmm. I imagine you had that almost first. And then you sort of like, OK, well, here's it. Yeah. Did you think? Of and different- you know, it's, po- it's possible like when you're trying to make me think about where it came from, it's possible. My dad said douche. Yeah. I could ask him. He could have been the one who said just douche ya, but I feel like I wrote it. I don't know. After the virginity part, you have three tags in a row, and I feel like I've heard you talk about you love. I love tagging. Why? It's just more laughs. Yeah. I don't, I love, I love it. I've had people be like, I don't think you need that third tag, and I'm like, no, I do. Based on listening, the third tag gets... The fewest laughs, but (laughs) it's clear you're just like, I'm, this is, I just, I'm I'm doing this. Yeah. Well, you know, also it's like people didn't know I was recording an album. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm so glad I did that. I mean, of course you could say I have regrets. Like you should have split the diff, done it in the town, said you were recording the album, but maybe it's not packed with everybody you've ever known. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. It's pretty true. Everybody sees jokes and specials where... Sometimes they are that funny, and other times you're like, I'm being tricked. 
at this point, are you editing? What is your relationship to editing then or even now in terms of like getting it shorter or longer? I found myself telling some stuff on the road and no longer doing it. And it just because it wasn't good enough and didn't have a big enough pop. If you don't want to tell it, that is the sign to you that it's probably not worth telling. Mm, sometimes I just don't want to tell it, but it's probably okay. But I also, it's also a lot of other factors. Yeah. And sometimes it's like I went so many years trying not to be sexual, super sexual. So sometimes I still get in my head about being dirty and I'll have to tell myself because I love Sarah Silverman and, and she's brilliant. And so I learn a lot from watching her and... Sometimes I'll be like, well, Sarah's got a poop joke. I can have one. You know, like I have to. Yeah. But I stop myself. It's my mom in my head going, Bob Newhart didn't have to be dirty to be funny. And I'm kind of like, you probably didn't see him live. He's probably up there talking about jerking off. <laughs> His albums aren't that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't know what he did. You don't know every every yeah. show he it yeah. wasn't clean. I've heard you in interviews describe yourself as a perfectionist, but sort of like. It's very hard to be a type A comedian on stage. People don't want to feel like the person's trying so hard. Yes. How do you sort of balance those two things? My mind is a storm. <laughs> it's like I don't have it with me, but in my backpack over the weekend, I had taken my spreadsheet doc with all my jokes in it, printed them out and stuff. And I was like going through because I, I have it all like when it for, first was told, how many times I've told it and on what was it audio or visual. And so it's like. I had that with me the whole weekend, but then I most of my set lists are jammed into a notebook. And, you know, it's like yeah. I'm back and forth. I I have all the materials to make my next thing perfect, but I sometimes just put things off or throw it away. Or It's like my archive is extensive but also messy. Yeah. And I don't know. I think my next hour will be the best thing I've done, but... I've gotten I have to be careful lately because I'm either sick of telling him and I have to find a place to put it and just get it out. Yeah. It's like the Kevin McAllister and his rollerblades. It's like he didn't wear them outside once and then he grew out of them. Yeah. So the timing is delicate. It's like I don't want to get so sick of telling these jokes, but I'm like, but I can also make them better. And when I thought I was going to record this next hour was last fall and thank God I didn't. Yeah. But then I'm like, but now what? Is it going to be too late now? And then I and then I look look to Sarah who Sometimes we'll wait eight years between things and it's sort of like, it's always a storm. Yeah, I think people are getting back to remembering that you don't have to do everything immediately and seeing what, and just indulging what it feels like to wait. Yeah. And maybe there'll be some jokes you won't want to do, but there'll probably be enough that you will that will get better. I'm finding like, wow, I can't, because I dipped back into some of my old stuff. One of my friends from Chicago opened for me in San Fran, Brian Babylon, and he's like, why don't you tell the raccoon story? It's not in any special. So I put it in and it murdered. Yeah. I mean, that's one from, I think, Sweet Beth. So my dad, uh, when I was there just a couple years ago, he called me out into his living room around midnight. Um, and uh, he was like, hey, B, come here, check this out. You're going to want to see this. And I was like, do I want to see what's in your Orlando, Florida backyard at midnight? <laughs> what I didn't expect to see uh, were 18 raccoons eating out of a huge trough of dog food that he provided them he goes yeah and I threw in some Hershey kisses because uh, even raccoons deserve dessert and I was like that I agree with yeah that's it's <laughs> the only part I agree with okay uh, so my dad's feeding rabies infested animals in his backyard as you can imagine over the years numbers have skyrocketed exponentially I was like dad that's disgusting He's like, don't worry about it, B. Every night after they're done eating, I bleach the deck. 
Excuse me? Uh, so what you're telling me is you've created for yourself a 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. unpaid raccoon internship. Okay. Go ahead and take back your life. Uh, my sister calculated how much she was spending per year on dog food. Ended up being $4,000. Uh, she didn't calculate the Hershey Kisses. <laughs> Apparently those are marginal. Uh, so my dad's like, we know it's a problem. But on the off nights that we don't feed them... They take their long, skinny fingers and they pick up rocks from our rock garden and they roll them up and down against our bedroom window until we come out and feed them. I was like, why? That is terrifying. And you need to call an exterminator immediately. But I didn't think about what that phone call would be like. My dad calling an exterminator and be like, hello, yeah, okay. So yeah, we got a little bit of a problem on our hands, yeah. Yeah, some raccoons in the backyard. Ooh, 73, yeah. About 73 back then. How? Ugh. Direct result of my actions. Yeah, it was what it was. <laughs> it just took up too much real estate in yeah. the hour. And then it's like, is this a special about my dad? Or It's almost like I stopped writing about my dad there for a while and moved to my mom because, not because I sensed my mom was jealous, but, <laughs> but because it is like a tenuous sort of... Yeah. relationship. You've talked about how this was, it felt pivotal for you or symbolic of like this is, you. What did, what did it represent and sort of how did your comedy sort of change afterwards? I think it was like, I don't know how I did this, but it works. Yeah. So maybe I can come up with other stories, but still have, I've always thought of like, what are my little, what are my stories as pillars or in within my set and what are the gates in between yeah. that are like that get to the each pillar. And the gates in between are jokes and the pillars are stories. Yeah. And I just think of myself like that, I guess. Doing it proved that you can do it. So you're like, okay, I'll just keep on doing this. Yeah, I guess so. We'll be back with more Beth Stelling after <laughs> this word from our sponsor. Yeah, I guess so. Support for the show is brought to you by the new Audible original, Heads Will Roll, from Saturday Night Live's Kate McKinnon and co-creator Emily Lynn. Enter the Night Realm, where evil Queen Martwana and her Dizzy Raven sidekick must put down a peasant rebellion and save the throne. Will their friendship survive sensitive generals, chatty sex slaves, whiny behemoths, princes with bird fetishes, and the notion of democracy? This audio satire also features the wicked talents of Meryl Streep, Tim Gunn, Peter Dinklage, Queer Eyes Fab Five, Aidy Bryant, and so many more. It's a scripted audio comedy that's like TV for your ears. Listen free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash vultureheads. That's audible.com slash vultureheads. We are back with Beth Stelling. So I feel like doing the job that I have and talking to comedians and writing about comedy, I understand how most comedians, what most comedians are doing. When something is funny, I'm like, I get it. And I always say there's a small group of people, maybe two comedians, I don't understand why so much of like what it all the laugh lines are like i can get the joke parts and those two comedians are nate bargazzi and you <laughs> when there's parts of the jokes that are clearly not punchlines but are laughing <laughs> can you tell me what you think is happening yeah so what are those parts i guess i mean like like i think i just need an example but i'm not saying i don't know what you're talking about i'm just saying i need something to go yeah off sure of. let me look like even like the part where you talk about the slide before you go on it. Uh, so my uncle goes down first and he gets 
quite a bit of water up his shorts. <laughs> and then you're the sister part. It's my sister's turn second, and she's like in the height of her puberty, so she's wearing a string bikini, orange. I think it's specificity and unique flair, and I'm speaking for Nate. But <laughs> yeah, review Nate. I'll ask Nate own, later about yeah, you, and then maybe we can figure out our what. own charisma and personal uniqueness. Yeah, I think like I have a joke that I used to tell that was like I was at the grocery store picking up some cereal O's by Quaker, and I blah, blah, see you left. Yeah, no, I get it. I think you're funny. <laughs> it wasn't the point. Like you're a bad comedian. <laughs> It was like, you're a very good comedian. No, no, no. I know. I, I didn't take offense. I just I meant like, I think it's specificity. Yeah, like as a person, you're like, this is a specific person we're watching. Yeah. I And I think it's just like, I really, I said Susan Messing earlier because when I took her improv class, she's like, is it funnier to say, I'm going to go brush my teeth with toothpaste? Or is it funnier to say, I'm going to go brush my teeth with some crust whitening? <laughs> Especially if you say whitening like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? A comedian can tell this joke without it being a story hypothetically. You can be like, you know, I won a, once won a water slide and this happened. but Water really goes up there. Yeah. But instead, like, this is a story. And, I, and you know, as you mentioned, a decent part of your act is stories. But you've talk, I've heard you talk about how you feel conflicted about being a storytelling comedian. What is that conflict and how do you how – you, how, you, how have you evolved about that? That now thing. I think I'm pretty much just totally 100% okay with it. I think for a while I think it was like, well, I don't want to be just like a moth person. Mm-hmm. Not like that's bad and that's amazing. But oftentimes they what the moth is usually looking for is is just the one-offs from humans that have in, yeah. in, their one incredible story. Or, you know, yeah. several, but like the one life-changing sort of story. Um, but also comedians have been known to do it. I've been doing clubs for so many years. I don't yeah. feel like insecure about taking the time to do it. And comedy's evolved. And I think what's popular and there's kind of something for everybody. And, you know, I think now more than ever, my people kind of find me. Yeah. Of course, in a comedy club, because you have a lot of seats to fill. You know, so I'm popular in some markets more than others. Yeah. And so I can feel when it's when it's like 30, 70, 50, 50, mm-hmm. 80, 20, my people. Based on how patient they are? Based on... Whole flow of show, reaction, amount of laughter, engagement. I think the I, the more recent experience I felt, which was like, this is not really where I should be headlining, yeah. was Gotham in New, New York. York. It was not a bad experience. That's not even what I mean. Because my people who came had a good time, but mm-hmm. they were roadblocked by the people who don't know who the hell I am and why they should be laughing yeah. at some of these things. Because it's not their world. Yeah, It's literally a woman in a very, very short cocktail dress with a, another man who, like, and sometimes it's like, they just aren't my people. Um, I, I don't know why I had to say very short cocktail dress. I just At the same instinct that makes you yeah, go orange. It's sort of like I'm <laughs> seeing these couples that are yeah. out for like a night out to hear these like guffaw, like, but um yeah. <laughs> Let's laugh about women being bitches, you know? Yeah. And I'm sort of like, oh, I'm going to. And at the time, I was opening on an abortion joke, which I think was more of my being. I was being sort of a petulant child. And I was sort of like, no, I'm going to do it right now. And now I've changed things yeah. up. So I can see why they wouldn't have been put off. It was just, it's almost like when I'm questioned or challenged, I like to sort of dig in and, and I'm go back to my kid instinct, which is like, no, I'm going to do what I want. 
we talked briefly about doing this joke, and you first mentioned just doing the only the wet and wild part. And what's interesting is, without the beginning part, you almost don't talk about your dad at all mm-hmm. in the wet and wild part. Right. Um, but considering that, how is this a joke about your dad? I mean, he's responsible for taking us there. He would always go down. He was like our entertainment, so we loved watching him do it. I don't know. I guess what I heard is like, should she have been? Should she have gone down this slide? And right, what does that right, say right. about this dad? <laughs> That's funny. Look at it. Yeah. Um, I think I was. It was too soon for me to go down that slide. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it was like very scary, but that's kind of how I've always been. I'm, you know, oftentimes the little sister is always trying to keep up, so she'll yeah. be more advanced or saying things that she doesn't exactly even know what she's saying or watching things that not that necessarily shouldn't watch, but don't even fully understand. And yeah. you know, I had Sir Mix a lot memorized. I like big butts. Like at age six, it was mm-hmm. like that was my first thing I ever memorized. Did you talk to your dad before writing about him? recording it did you play it for him afterwards no he he's just sort of like his his attitude on it pretty much is just sort of i get it it's your stories Mm -hmm. you you do your thing tell your stories there had i think one time when i first moved here the relationship with my stepmom it's not i wouldn't ever describe it as like horrific or bad or Mm -hmm. but it's also just like not great I mean, thankfully, we were never, like, beaten, um, but we were put in dangerous positions and awkward moments and alcohol-infused, chaotic or tense situations, uncomfortable, awkward, embarrassing. She did get on the phone one time. She grabbed it from him. I yeah. was like, I just want, like, I am sober now, so don't talk about me. Or and it was like... Cool. Got it. So I really stopped. Did talking about it or still talking about it, do you feel like it helps you in whatever help means? I think at the time I probably wasn't acknowledging that it was my way of, I don't know, sharing my side or because like revenge is such a strong word. It's not like I was like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to show you. I don't know if I necessarily felt voiceless at the time. Yeah. But in some ways I was. I couldn't go, hey, are you drinking and driving right now? What's in the cup? I'm just buckled in the back seat, making my sisters laugh, fake humping her from behind. <laughs> sure. So it's like, was it my way of processing it? I think so. I don't know if I really recognized that early on. And I think when she was like, I'm so mad. I was like, yeah, I don't need to. Yeah. When I was happy to stop, I think. I think there was part of me that was scared, like, fuck, I don't have a material. <laughs> but um, I don't want to go against someone's wishes to not be talked about. Yeah. And I don't even remember if she specifically said that. I think she was like, so now you don't have to talk about on stage. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. But there's so many stories there that I don't talk about. Yeah. And just experiences with her and, you know. Because they were, they were awkward. I mean, yeah. they were... I just, I, I pretty much, I guess, usually search for times where maybe I was put in a weird position and I try to make it funny. The next album, the next few, you talk about your, you talk about your mom much more and you do an impression of her and it's very nice. I was in Playboy this summer. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. They listed me as a touring comedian that you should go see. <laughs> I mean, someday they'll appreciate me for more than my words. Um <laughs> But until then, uh, my mom saw this article that was posted on Facebook. My mom's Facebook fluent. 
And uh, she went into the comment section of the Playboy article and she wrote, oh dear, my mom is a virgin. And she wrote, oh dear, Playboy, purchasing this will be a first for me. Yeah, I didn't have the heart to tell her, you know, it's just like an online thing. It's not gonna be in the print copy. And I didn't tell her. Uh, I really wanted her to go get one, you know. She's an elementary school music teacher. We live in a small town. Just like, imagine her going to the grocery, picking up a Playboy, putting it down on the counter and just being like, it's not what it looks. (laughs) My daughter is in here. And she gets it home and she's like thumbing through it, like furiously looking for my face. And she's like, oh God, everybody's daughter is in here. It makes it less special. Doing those jokes and writing those jokes, how, how are you a different comedian doing those? What is that experience as a comedian like? Because the energy is so completely different. See, I wouldn't know that until you said it. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. don't examine myself like that. Yeah. But of course I've changed yeah. over the years. I mean, you watch my, sometimes like when comics are like, how do you blah, blah, blah. I'm like, watch my 2012 Conan and watch my 2017 Conan. Yeah. You know, like you just, you change. I'm not saying I'm drastically different, but you just change over time. So I think because I have a good relationship with my mom and she sacrificed so much and was a good mom, good person and went through so much. I think I just feel that responsibility to portray her in a good light. Yeah. But there's no... I'm not saying she didn't have her hard times or like we we absolutely like had our hard times and disagreements and all that. But brief detour was like that joke. The only I had this one joke that she didn't like and was hurt by. Yeah. And there was a tag on it that was sort of suggested to me by someone who's also who's a mean person. And I told it once and it was recorded yeah. and put online. So she saw that. And it is unfortunate that that exists. <laughs> but the joke before that one is my mom still lives at home loser you know i love that joke i still stand by it it's not mean my mom heard it and thought it was mean yeah and she's a smart woman so that bothers me (laughs) because i'm like you're smart yeah i said that about megan or hannah my sisters yeah that would be mean my sister still lives at home loser yeah yeah. that's just mean it's your home but it's yours mother (laughs) you belong there and she's like oh okay 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 and but the funny thing is that resurfaced on my mom and I's podcast yeah. called We Called Your Mom, where we call Marilyn Bamford Maria's mom, because Maria talks about her mom a lot, too. Yeah. And they both, like, drag me. <laughs> They're like, that's not nice. <laughs> They're like, you shouldn't put that in. I go, Marilyn, it's on Netflix. It's too late. It's like, <laughs> she goes, oh, okay, well, it's just you know, not nice. Um, I saw you last night at Dynasty Typewriter. You did? Yeah, I didn't want to tell you, because then you blame. Thank God you didn't tell yeah, me. No, I, I never... love it when people don't tell me. No, I never. I almost tried to... N- I wanted to surprise people afterwards. It's yeah. Like, um, so I was I was thinking about this joke because I was just sort of thinking about your entire career, and then you brought up your dad again. Uh, you sort of framed him as this Fox Newsy guy, and you use it use as a uh, you say that in high school he said if you got pregnant he'd take the baby, and you sort of use this to transition talking about abortion generally. And I think um, the set felt political in a way, or at least more pointed. How is how do you try to make sort of 
in these times, mm-hmm. political material, personal, or sort of your personal material, political. Yeah, it's it's more personal, um, unavoidably being political. Yeah. Because of the personal experience, you see how politicized it is mm-hmm. and you faced it yourself. So now you have to try to give a voice to it so people can have a different perspective on it so they can understand if they haven't been through it themselves. Yeah. The last time I saw you, I believe, you were doing um, jokes about uh, a relationship in where you were assaulted. Mm-hmm. Um, did you keep on doing that material? Did it find... And if if... What did you learn from experience of doing it? Similarly to the sort of stepmom anecdote, I put stuff in my act about that because apparently as we've just sort of talked about, it is how I process or deal with something. And I felt like it was, I don't know about wrong, but like out of my nature to not talk about it. Um, and so I did almost ironically force myself to talk about it. It would make me shake. It would make my hands shake. And I would have, I would often put my hand in my armpit between my mic, you know, hand and my other hand that wasn't in the mic. I remember going to Zany's in January. I don't do that club anymore because they severely underpay and take advantage of people. But um, do you like all the stones I'm throwing? Sure. But uh, it's just true. Gosh, they freaking whatever. Some of the comics they have there deserve so much more. Anyway, and I was doing them there in a club setting and that's like a club setting. Yeah. And to make those people face that is... Huge swing. I think I had a lot of support and love, and that's good. I think other people's feedback who saw me later in the year do San Francisco Punchline, you know, this has been several years now. I had loved ones say it was difficult to watch, but I'm glad you're okay talking about it and all that stuff. And then I went to a healing trauma program in Tennessee called Onsite and worked through a lot of this and you know, one of my takeaways, you don't leave these places cured or something. You just take steps in the right direction towards healing. And one of the takeaways was some things are sacred. You don't have to share everything on stage. Your life doesn't have to be an open book, you know? And I think it just took someone telling me that to be like, you don't have to. You started out being like, oh, I'm going to be confessional on stage. I'm going to, what did you learn from the process of realizing that? Like, as you think about all your- More confessional even. Yeah. Now I'm I, I'm getting over more judgment of myself when I talk about because this hour has more sexuality and sexual yeah. things. And it really made me uncomfortable. It took me a while to be like, no, you know what? This is what I'm talking about. I'm a grown woman. It's going to connect with people. Yeah. And, we, you know, arguably you could say 2019, we're in the year for this where people are most open about it. Yeah. But, you know, I've learned, too, with just relationships, dating other comics, talking about personal life. Seeing feelings hurt, having feelings hurt. I just have a different perspective on how much you share. And also, you know, things can be one-sided. You know, it's my perspective. It's my thing that happened. I'm thinking of other jokes now, but who knows what my stepmom would have said. You know, I was X, Y, or Z that time in my life. And it's like, okay, well, I was X, Y, or Z. (laughs) I was freaking six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In interviews, you'll you'll bring up this joke sometimes as sort of like an example of like, oh, you when you really knew you're funny or knew you're this. When you listen back to it, what parts of it you're like, that's that's who I am still now. Are there parts? This story we yeah, just yeah, heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Are there parts sitting in my own pee? Yeah, it's like still what like, about that? What about yeah? I, I mean, joke that like, you know, I joke like some you know you you should never read the comments, but sometimes I do, and I think what some person wrote something like where is the punchline, and I wrote back, <laughs> my punchlines aren't meant to be found by everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I stand by that. If you were to do this joke now, do you think how would it be different? I think the punchline's a little, what I would say, too hacky. Yeah. Yeah, for me now. The virginity part? The. And the douche. Yeah, I mean, I might say the virginity part just a little more subtly. Maybe I would say the virginity part. Yeah. The just douche is too hacky for me. Yeah, it's a pun and it's like a real underlined pun. Yeah. So that sound means it's time for the laughing round. So it's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a laughing round. Oh, good one. Hey, thanks. Can you sing something mm-hmm. for me and the listeners? Sure. I've, I will note that in your podcast with your mom, you sing and also just start every once in a while in your comedy do. I'm like, yeah. she's so good at singing. Can yeah, you do you sing? want me to just sing anything? Anything. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of something I um, love to sing. My mom and I always sing, I'd do anything for you, dear, anything for you, mean everything to me. I know that I'd go anywhere for your smile, anywhere. It's probably a romantic song, and therefore me and my mom singing it (laughs) is off. But it sounds so nice. Um, <laughs> is there a joke you wish you could steal in so much as it's a, another dimension mm-hmm. where you have this joke, no one knows this was someone else's right, joke? Right, right, right. I remember Mecky Leeper having, is that how you say his name, I think? Yeah, Mecky yeah. Leeper. He had some great show that was just a new take on a dad leaving, I think. I feel bad that I'm being so vague. Yeah. But I remember being like, nice twist. That was, it's like a new way to say it. And then Nicole Byer has a great thing like about gay male flight attendants. They just, they're too good for the ground yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, you know? They're joke. meant to be closer uh, to heaven. Um, do you have a joke joke? Street joke? Like any joke joke? Oh, like just off the top of my head? Yeah, do you have any that you sort of have? Oh, that I tell? That you know. Oh, yeah, like I've never tried cocaine. I've only smelled it. It's a good one. Do, 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 do you have a pre-show snack? Mm, I like soda water, soda water with bitters. I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yesterday I had some popcorn at Dynasty Typewriter. Do you have a joke that never works, but you love it, and you will go to your grave and be like, this is funny, <laughs> but the audience is like, you got Lately stop. I fe- feel like because I'm trying to get this hour in order, I've weeded so heavily. Yeah. that Some stuff I'm like, that's really funny. So what do you and have? And it's just gone. Do you have ones that now you can't do the but act? But some stuff I've strong-handed into getting laughs, and it's a delivery or an attitude or a charisma factor. Is it so? Do you have an example of one you strong-handed, or example of one you that I that that should sh- get a laugh? And I'm like, come on. Yeah. How about one that's like up down? Sure. I'm very non-committal. If I ever get married at the altar, when the pastor's like, "Do you, Beth, take this man to be your husband?" If so, say I do. I'm just gonna be like, it's not that I don't. <laughs> I just feel weird saying it in front of everybody because then you know they'll know that I'm not single. I gotta go. We're gonna end on this thing. This is the thing that I was trying to tell you. So the original producer of this podcast her name is jordan bell and she has i was when i met her i was like there's something very i there's something i really recognize about a person i never met i was like there's something that you remind me of something and then i was like i know what it is you have the same voice as beth stelling and then she <laughs> wouldn't 
be, she would meet some guests and like, do you know you sound like Beth Stelling? <laughs> so you being here, what we're going to we're try to do her? is we're going to call her. Okay, cool. And see if you, she has heard your voice. Okay. But you've never heard hers. It's so, interesting because I, I feel like I sound different like on a podcast or whatever. Because like I don't have a stage voice necessarily. But if the good news is I'm closest as my real personality to how I am on stage than I've ever been in my life. So. Yeah. What does that mean to you? It's good. It feels good. It feels like I could kind of talk about anything. It's just more freedom. I'm not fully free, but I'm close. Is it partly your offstage person is also becoming more like your stage person? Do you feel like it's a meet in the middle or is it? I feel like my offstage person is becoming more shy or mm -hmm. withdrawn. So now your stage, it's like they yeah. suck all your energy. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. 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 It's Beth Stelling. Hi. <laughs> I'll say a sentence and then and then you can say it. Okay, I'm going to think of the sentence. My first cat's name was Poodles, but we called him Pootie for short. My first cat's name was Poodles, but we called him Pootie for short. <laughs> Does that sound like you, too? <laughs> I don't know. Do you think we sound like each other? I think um, a little bit. I know. I've been telling me this for a while. <laughs> okay, Jesse, do you feel like it's like our mannerism? I don't or know what it is. Is it like our delivery? I think it's a little or... bit the delivery, especially how you end a sentence. Uh-huh. Because your tone is higher. I, I also think you have a little bit of like a, a little more... You know, yeah. to your sound, like a little more, um, whereas mine might be more gruff or yeah. harder plosives at the end uh, of things. I think you have a sort yeah. of like a nice, sort of more like that, toward a, sort of, t -t 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 -t. wait, t -t 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 -t. a little bit. Well, this has been mm -hmm. very satisfying for at least me. Yeah. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> It was nice to voice meet you. Oh, yeah. It's been great. That's it for this week's episode. You can listen to Beth Stelling's album, Sweet Beth, and Simply the Beth, wherever you stream music, and watch her half-hour special as part of Netflix's The Stand-Ups. You can find her live dates on her website, sweetbeth.com. Let me, let me just call it two dates, though. She, she'll be doing an hour at Littlefields in Brooklyn on June 2nd and Dynasty Typewriter in L.A. on June 19th. She also has a podcast called We Called Your Mom, which she hosts with her mom, in which they call other comedians moms. Follow Beth on Twitter, at Beth Stelling. Good One is produced by Mike Comite, with production help from Marissa Melnick and research help from Matthew Silver. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, you know, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.